from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Now make sure you say my name right. It's Latine. See, I talk about things other people are scared to talk about, what they're afraid to say. When I walk into the building, you know what they whisper to each other? This is Robert Littow from BlackSportsOnline.com, and you're listening to the Ugly Truth Podcast, where I don't tell you those pretty lies. I tell you the ugly truth about what's going on in the world of sports, entertainment, and viral news. Today, we're going to start with comedian and actress Amanda Seals from the hit HBO show Insecure. Now, first off, I have to be honest because This is the ugly truth. Probably a month or two months ago, I had no idea who this young lady was. And I'm not saying that as a a dig on her or any shade. There's a lot of people that you guys know and other people know that I have no idea about. I talked to my my guy, Yuri, who who works for BSO. He knows all the, the young rappers. I don't I don't know any of those guys. No shade. I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've watched Insecure. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I didn't know who she was. And the only reason that she came on my radar was because of an accusation that she made against Myron Roll. Now, ironically, me and Myron Roll, way back in the day, had some disagreements about some things. That's that's what's the interesting part about it. Who thinks that, you know, for people that think I'm just caping for Myron Roll, me and Myron Roll had some real serious, I wouldn't call it serious, but we had some disagreements about, you know, some things back in the day. Uh, for those that don't know, Myron Roll was a, uh, a player at Florida State University, a safety. Um, his situation at Florida State was very interesting in the fact that uh, he was, you know, he wasn't a stereotypical athlete. You know, people always like to put stereotypes, especially on black athletes, that they're not intelligent, that they're just athletic. That's all they're useful for. Uh, this guy, really intelligent guy, Rhodes Scholar, uh, wanted to be a, a doctor, which we'll get to in a little bit. But he also happened to be a, a pretty solid football player. And he gave the, the NFL uh, a try. He was drafted. I believe in the fourth round by the Titans, Tennessee Titans. Uh, you know, he played for a little bit. And, you know, his calling, he felt, was just more than football. And he went back and, and went to medical school and did all of the stuff that really smart people do. And now he's a resident and, you know, uh, to be a n- neurosurgeon. So we're not just talking about, you know, a regular doctor that, you know, checks when we have the flu. We're talking about somebody that is going to be doing surgery on the brain uh for kids so that's myron Rowe. and amanda seals for whatever reason that i'm still not exactly sure of well actually i get into why i'm pretty sure about it but went on a podcast and talked about you know a guy that she had a phone conversation with it was uncomfortable 
problematic. Um, and, you know, she just didn't feel, you know, comfortable uh, with the phone conversation. Then she goes on the Breakfast Club with Charlemagne and them and repeats the story and says that the guy, you know, she wanted the guy to hop in her DMs. She wanted to meet the guy. The guy wanted, you know, to meet her soon. But for whatever reason, she thought, you know, he was pressed. She didn't like the way that he was wooing her. He was talking to her. She felt it was problematic. And somebody else that had dated him said that he showed up one day for a date at his house. And he didn't have any clothes on because he had just got out the shower or something like that. And she found that to be sexual, you know, harassment and fit in line with what this conversation that she had with him over the phone. She dropped some hints about who it could be without actually saying his name. Now, before we get to the next part, it's okay, I guess, to tell stories, you know, your personal stories about your personal relationships, you know, with people, right? It's very important that when you're telling your stories about your personal relationship with people, you don't stretch and reach like Scottie Pippen arms on these stories, especially in this environment. You know, people have relationships that don't work out. They have phone conversations that don't work out. They have DMs that don't work out. And you don't necessarily have to put those all out in the streets. But if you do, you want to make sure that you just point out that it was a relationship that didn't work. You don't want to jump from this didn't work to me to sexual harassment, sexual predator, which second after that, that's exactly what she did. And she came out with the video and the video right up front was problematic because she actually says she understands the danger of putting somebody's name out there with no proof at all. So she comprehends this and does it anyway. And uses terms like sexual harassment and sexual predator. And watch out if you, you know, you run into, you know, Myron Rowe. Watch out. You know, basically accusing him of being someone that you should be afraid of. That's a, you know, that's a serious accusation. If you're telling a woman or women that a, a man is potentially a sexual predator and watch out for him, that is a serious accusation. If I was going to a neurosurgeon, I wouldn't want my neurosurgeon being someone that I may think is a sexual predator. It's like if R. Kelly ran a daycare. You understand what I'm saying? Like, that's very dangerous. Now, Myron Roll comes out because you have to defend yourself now and says, you know, someone accused him of verbally harassing someone over the phone, brought up unsubstantiated claims to fit their narrative. It's a totally false accusation. I have nothing but respect for women. This is bullying. This is wrong. And, you know, it's just totally false. Now, he says this. Now, we talk about he said, she said, right? If 
Amanda Seals really believed what she had been saying, she would have fought back against the narrative that he was trying to put out there because he basically called her a liar. Instead, she records another video that says, you know something? I personally never said he, he sexually harassed me. I say he never did anything to me, you know, considering I only talked to him one time on the phone. You know, I text him and he didn't. She said something very interesting. She said she she texted him, allegedly, what some other girl had told him, told, told her, allegedly. And he didn't text back. And after a couple of days of not texting back, she said that she texted him something like, okay, you want to be like that? We'll see. And now, all of a sudden, stories are out in the wind. As I did further research on this story, because that's what you have to do. Because if my role is Darren Sharper, I think people need to know. So I went and tried, like, well, who are these other people who have these other things to say about Myron Rowe? And the only thing that I found was that, you know, there was relationships that didn't work out. Um, and when relationships don't work out, you know, both sides have things to say about the other side. Relationship doesn't work out. Maybe you do think someone is rude or arrogant or something. But you know what I no one said was that he was doing anything that made them feel afraid or uncomfortable or like, you know, Darren Sharpie's a doctor. Nobody got nobody was drugged or anything. I heard none of that. On the contrary, when unsolicited, other people start sending me videos and things about Amanda Seals, who definitely has a problem with black men. Now, I don't know what the root of that problem is, but she blames black men for Trump, Jesse Smollett. We're all homophobic. We're all we all not shit. So she has an issue with black men. Yeah, I don't know why, but we're the problem for everything, which is what we've talked about before, the whole toxic black masculinity thing. You know, black men have issues. White men have issues. Mexican men have issues. Asian men have issues. Women have issues. Men have issues. We all have issues, right? You, you just can't blame black men for every issue that's happening right there. It's not black men's fault that Donald Trump is in office. That's, that's preposterous. <laughs> that's preposterous to say something like that. It's not black men's fault that Jesse Smollett decided to lie about getting beat up, the gay Tupac. We had nothing to do with that. We were just, we, black men watch Empire just like anybody else. I don't understand how, you know, it's our fault that Jesse Smollett decided to do this. It's not black men's fault about our account. You know why? Because even if you just watch the documentary on R. Kelly, R. Kelly, 
There's men, there's women, there's mothers, there's fathers, there's uncles, there's aunts, there's cousins. There's men and women at record labels, producers, other artists, both men and women, all enabled R. Kelly. We're going to get to him in a minute or two as well. That's not just a black man thing. There's white men or black men. There are everybody. It's not, you can't put every, it's just like, it's just like when something racist happened and a white person says, well, what about Chicago? If you, it's, it, that, that probably annoys me more than anything else when, some, when something racist happens and people say, well, what about black on black crime? Like, what, what does that have to do with the topic at hand? What does Colin Kaepernick and police brutality have to do with black on black crime? If, if, a white, if a white, if a black guy shot a police officer, right? And then black people said, yeah, you know, that's messed up. But what about all this white on white crime? They would, white people lose their mind if you said something like that. Lose their mind. They should care more about it. So, but white people say it all the time. What about black on black crime? What about Chicago? What about Chicago? So it's bad enough we get that from white people. We don't we definitely don't need it from other black people. And don't get me wrong. I understand that black women deal with a whole lot. Deal with a whole lot of stuff. You really do. I'm sympathetic to that, that you deal with tons of different things that you really shouldn't have to. And the anger about certain things is valid. It's totally valid. But as someone always told me when, when I get angry, just how you're directing your anger is something that you really have to pay attention to. Who are you really being mad at? I was talking to someone about uh, Kyla Murray. And you saw the thing with Charlie Castle. He's saying, you know, he did his interview well. He doesn't do the stuff on the board well, excited, et cetera, et cetera. And someone asked me off the, off the record, you know, what did I think about that? And I was telling them that I've heard certain things about Kyla Murray that maybe are not conducive to a combine type of setting, that's not conducive to a TV interview type of setting. He's not that type of guy. Like, when you go do an interview nine times out of ten, you know, a job interview, let's be honest, you're faking a lot of it because you're trying to put on your best face. You're not being yourself in in, in a sense. Just like you're, you're not just, you're, you know, your work self is different than, you know, if you're at the bar partying with your friends. The thing with Kyler Murray is just that he's Kyler Murray all the time. That's just how he is. He doesn't know how to fake it. But I was telling my friend, I'm like, you know, as a black reporter, I have to be careful. I can't just be up here co-signing this stuff. Because even if you co-sign it in the most articulate type of way, it just makes everything, you know, look bad. It's a way that you have to, you know, say these things. So I'm not saying excuse bad behavior or like let R. Kelly free or anything like that. I'm just saying that understand that when you as a black woman, or a black man, put that energy out to other black people for really no reason at all, it makes us all look bad. 
I understand you're a comedian and you want to tell your story. But if you tell your story, you can tell your story in a way, unless you have, like I said, some proof that this man is like Darren Sharp or Bill Cosby or something. You leave his name out of it because that this is like I said, this is a guy that's going to save lives. And unless he's truly a criminal. Just because he's curving women or is not working out is not a reason to put him up there with, you know, rapists and, and sexual harassers and, and stuff like that. That's that's not cool. And that's why she backtracked. And that's why she didn't, you know, dispute anything that she said, because she knew she had dug a hole and went too deep with it. And I know there's people mad at me because I put it out there. Bluntly. But that's my job. And this is nothing against Amanda Seals. I'm not, I don't know Myron role. You know, we're not friends or anything like that. It's just common sense. If you got proof, I'm, I'm, hey, if he, like, like I said, you look at Darren Sharper and you wouldn't think what he did is something that he would do. But the proof was there. The proof is with R. Kelly. The proof is with Bill Cosby. If you have proof someone is doing something that needs to be addressed, that's fine. But it's a slippery slope. Yeah, one phone conversation. You got secondhand information from people that aren't really saying that he did anything that would be considered criminal. You know what I mean? Like, you really got to watch how you do it because people latch on to that. And then that you can't get away from that, that stigma. That stigmatism. So I hope Amanda Seals, I don't know, like I said, I don't know her. I don't have anything personal against her. I hope whatever this issue she has with black men, that, you know, maybe she can get some therapy about it and talk about it with some other people. But I just hope that she realized you can't be doing, you know, this type of stuff. It's not really productive for anybody. Now, let's move on to someone who is problematic, R. Kelly. Um, R. Kelly's back in jail. Uh, he owed $161,000 in back child support. Uh, he obviously doesn't have the money, which in and of itself is, is, is just amazing to think about. You know, it's not unusual for music artists to go broke it's very difficult for music artists who write their own music produce music write for others compose music produce music to go broke because that's publishing from a lot of different areas. Uh, but a reason that R. Kelly is going broke is because he's been paying off people for such a long period of time, paying, and, you know, paying lawyers and all of this other stuff. And then what happens is when you're not hot anymore, you know, those producer checks, those publishing checks, they're still, you know, good checks, but not good enough to maintain the lifestyle, not good enough to maintain all of the payoffs. So he, he's back in jail. But what people are really talking about is his interview uh, with Gail King on CBS this morning. Now, there's been a lot of comedy 
around that interview. A lot of, you know, memes and, and photoshops and Twitter jokes and all of these other things. Behind this. But the thing that I found very interesting about the interview was not so much his emotion and jumping up and down and not even so much as Gail King batting the eye about it. One, you know, one thing about black women is they, they're very calm in the, in the storm of chaos, especially older black women, because they don't seen it all. So she, you know, and, and I, I thought it was interesting that her white uh, co-anchor on CBS this morning was like, oh, I was scared. I thought he was going to do something to you. And Gail was like, no, nah, I never felt scared. She's she's been there, done that. Like there's, you know, when someone is ranting and raving, and and when you're in danger, she wasn't in any type of danger. All right, Kelly wasn't gonna do anything to her. First off, he's gonna do anything to his hundred people around shooting the shooting the videos. It's, it's that's just stupid. But, you know, white women see a black man jumping up and down, they automatically assume violence. But that's another. That's another show. That's another take, another 20 minutes or something totally different. But what I saw was a man that was reaching out to a jury pool in Chicago. Because in the end, these are the people that are going to decide if he's guilty or not guilty. And from what I surmise, and what I've kind of learned is that in Chicago, R. Kelly still has a lot of supporters. Now, if this is happening in L.A., Vegas, or Minnesota, as you know, open and shut case. But in Chicago, R. Kelly really still seems to have a, a good, strong following. This case is not a... You know, it's not the jury's not going to be on social media. It's not Twitter. It's not Facebook. And actually, if you want, you want to go down a rabbit hole. I'm just saying, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, you know, do your searches of R. Kelly on on Twitter, and then do your your searches of R. Kelly on YouTube, and do your searches on R. Kelly on Facebook. And just look at the comments. They're wildly different on Instagram. Depending on where you're at, which social media platform, they're all a little different. They're all a little different. And that sounded like some a guy that was on TV that was trying to find his base, find his jury pool. And tell them that these people are setting me up. These people are extorting me. These people are lying about me. You've done this before. It's the parents' fault. It's the media's fault. It's social media's fault. It's bitter women's fault. That's what it sounds like someone is doing to me. Trying to pass the blame on other people. And when 
the jury listens to all of this. And I'm assuming this is the same defense that he's going to put up. And you got to, here's, I don't know how good R. Kelly's legal team is, but I want to warn you in advance. Even though we know that R. Kelly has done things that are illegal, what's going to come out about the accusers, their families, their friends, the enablers, the uncles, the aunts, it's not going to be pretty. You're going to hear things that don't necessarily prove that R. Kelly is innocent, but it's also going to show that the people that are most vocal about him aren't innocent either. So I'm just warning you. I'm warning you when they're going to bring someone to the stand and ask them if, you know, R. Kelly was, you know, doing X, Y, and Z to your daughter, to your niece. Why didn't you go to the police instead of taking $350,000 from Mr. Kelly? What was the $350,000 for? Did you not value your, you know, niece or daughter more than $350,000? When they ask someone, you know, someone's father, did you not give permission on this note and this contract for your daughter to spend a summer with R. Kelly? And he's going to have to look and explain why he had to do that. So I just want you guys to be ready because that's that's what's coming when this trial come out. And I, I'm curious if it's going to be, you know, they don't, they don't televise trials as much anymore. You know, like the OJ and stuff like that. You know, most of the times it's you have to get the reporters that are in the trial to kind of get the information. But I'm real curious if they televise this trial because they televise this trial. It's going to get bigger ratings than you can ever imagine. Or it's possible that R. Kelly could try to plea, plea down so all of this stuff doesn't get out there. But at this point, you know, if you give R. Kelly a plea and he gets, you know, a couple of years, in jail, you know, is that, you know, that's a little iffy. The whole thing is a little iffy right now. Every, there, you know, in the immortal words of Allen Iverson, everyone has a little bit of dirt under their fingernails. Now, R. Kelly has the most dirt, but there are a lot of other people that will get exposed if this thing, you know, goes to a full trial. So I'm just telling you, be prepared. Now, this is one that people have been asking me about since it, it, it was announced that it was coming out. And this was the Michael Jackson documentary, Leaving Neverland. Now, this one has people really on either side of the fence. And I told people that... I wouldn't speak on it until, you know, I watched the documentary. And once I watched the documentary, got all my information together, that way I could do a a really clear thought on what was going on. Now, here's the first thing. Um, I don't know how old most of you guys are. Um, I'm 40 now. so. When Michael Jackson was in his heyday, uh, which is, you know, the, 
I would say the mid eighties, early nineties. Um, you know, I was, you know, I don't know. I was what the 10 years old ish back then. So what I can tell you as someone that had a beaded jacket that I got from JC Penny outlet. Thanks mom. Um, is that when you were a kid at that age, Michael Jackson, you know, was a super, super, you know, star. And everybody was trying to moonwalk and, and do the moves and wear the clothes. And I think, I remember there was a talent show at, at my elementary school. And I was Michael Jackson. I had the glove and with the little, you know, fake diamonds on it and stuff. So, you know, we, that was the thing back then. So he, I mean, he was a big deal, super, super big deal back then. Now, the thing about him and the, the, the little boys, it's similar to R. Kelly in the sense that everybody knew more or less what R. Kelly was up to 20 years ago. 20, you, know, it, you know, I remember watching him on Video Soul with Aaliyah and kind of, you know, raising an eyebrow. I remember when I really figured out the age ain't nothing but a number, you know, song and the, the cover of the CD and, you know, raising an eyebrow. And when the sex, you know, the, the original sex tape came out, I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all kind of knew that this was going on. Now, when you're at that point, I don't know, in your 20s, and there's no social media, you know, the, the, the flow of information is, is, is very slow and a lot of times inaccurate. So, you know, you really you kind of knew what was up, but you didn't, you know, really know what you could do at that time. The same thing goes for Michael Jackson. Uh, while there was no, you know, tape, per se, no smoking gun, and there was no marriage license, you know, like, he, like R. Kelly and Aaliyah, you knew that Mike seemed to be a little off uh, back then. And, you know, that he liked hanging around, you know, little kids, little white kids and Webster. And he had, you know, monkeys and stuff as best friends. Like Mike just wasn't all the way there. And I, I, I heard D.L. Hewley say something that I thought was interesting. He wasn't accusing Mike of anything. But what he was saying was that if Michael Jackson was not Michael Jackson, the singer, he was Michael Jackson, you know, your neighbor. And you saw your neighbor or your neighbor was telling you that he was sleeping in bed, sleeping, sleeping in a bed with little boys and having little boys have sleepovers and just seem to be more interested in spending time with little boys than grown women, you would probably think that was strange. You would think there possibly could be something going on. And people have thought that about Michael Jackson for a very long time. We know that Michael Jackson paid off people we know that michael jackson had a trial that he was found you know not guilty 
we know some of the little boys that are now grown men have changed their stories a few times. Now, I watched the documentary, and I can't say, honestly, I'm just giving you my honest opinion, that I found either one of those kids overly credible, or they're adults now, I should say. And, and I want to be very clear what I'm saying. Parts of their story, to me, are very credible in the sense that I truly do believe that Michael Jackson had a thing for little boys as far as hanging out with them. So I do believe that he, as they would say, groomed them and took their parents in and lavished them with toys and played with them and got in a hot tub with them and laid in the bed with them and all of that stuff. And I do believe that when a little boy would get a little older, he would find a new little boy to, to hang out with. I definitely believe that. The graphicness of everything, that's the part that seems, because if true, this man's one of the sickest, would have been one of the sickest people on the planet. If, as they described it in detail, I mean, that's a, that's a sick, sick man that's doing this. Now, it's a, in my mind, it's a very fine line. Not that it, I don't think, I don't think any of it is, I don't think you should be sleeping in beds with little boys that, you know, you're not their parent and you're isolating them from their family and maybe you're playing with them in ways that are inappropriate. Now, that's, to me, that's, a, that's, that's all inappropriate, but that's a big jump from saying that, you know, someone is, you know, making you, you know, a, a nine-year-old, making a nine-year-old having oral sex with you, a nine, ten-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, that's, there's a leap there. And I don't know if I feel comfortable saying 100% that I believe that that's exactly what happened. And I'm not trying to hedge because, you know, it's the ugly truth. But I have to tell you how I, just how I see things. You know, I think that Michael Jackson did do some inappropriate things with little boys. I do. I do believe that. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, if some of the things that he was doing, if anybody else was doing that to your son, you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't allow it. You would be uh, you would be freaked out about it. My only thing is, how far did that inappropriation go with Michael Jackson? Because did it go literally all the way to where you know people because of what was said? I mean, people were vomiting, they're sick to their stomach watching this. Did it go that far? Truly. Did it go that far? Or did it just go to some of the inappropriate things because he was a weirdo and for whatever reason had more affinity for little boys than grown women? I said both of it is inappropriate, but one's like inappropriate, like, okay, you know, 
that he has problem. And the other one is inappropriate. Like, this guy's one of the sickest human beings on the planet, and we really should have thrown him in jail for the rest of his, his life. Like, there's, you know, it's a difference. And I'm not, I'm not sure. And, and the reason that I'm not exactly sure, and I don't necessarily believe it went to the severity that, that those guys are saying, is that other little boys who have grown up to be men have been around Michael Jackson, and they tell similar stories on how Mike, you know, played with them, had them in the bed, you know, kind of distanced them from their family. You know, those those stories almost from all of the little boys are consistent. It's just some of them say, you know, but not, he never did anything so sick, like ain't no sex. That, you know, I would remember that. You know, I would remember, you know, that. Now, was he showing these little boys porn and all of this stuff? That's possible. Like I said, that's a, you know, that's not good. It's not good at all. But anal sex with a nine-year-old is, you know, to me, that's like death penalty type of stuff. And I know Mike's already dead. I'm just saying. So that's kind of what I got out of the, the I got that Michael Jackson did inappropriate things with little boys. I believe that he, he did that. And even if you don't believe he went as far as they're saying in this documentary, you know in your heart of hearts, if it was just the surface level of what they're saying, or even what the surface level of what Michael Jackson has said, you wouldn't want your son to be that. If, if, you, if you just took the surface level, like say you right now, you have a nine-year-old son. Let's say Michael Jackson was alive right now, but he wasn't Michael Jackson, the superstar, million times platinum. He was Michael Jackson, your next door neighbor who just likes to play with your son. And if he was like, hey, could you leave your son there for three weeks? Can he sleep in my room in the bed with me? You would absolutely 100% say no. Absolutely. Well, that's what I think about the Michael Jackson situation. Like I said, some will agree, some will disagree. My thing is to try to find the truth and tell you guys about it. I, I think it would be naive to think that he wasn't doing some inappropriate thing. I just think that's naive. There's too many. It was just too many little boys that he was dealing with. And, you know, he never had a woman sleep over. So, it's just, I mean, that's just naive. Now, I don't I, I think the way that they were describing things. If that was true, Michael Jackson needs to be shot in the head. So, like, that's that's a that that's. They really went there, like really, really, really graphic stuff. That it might whip out his penis, maybe, and show the little boy. I'm saying that that's more believable to me than necessarily saying, well, Mike literally had sex with a nine-year-old kid. Now, maybe this is true. Like I said, if it is true, and we ever get some evidence for it, fuck Michael Jackson. And even the stuff that he did, honestly, is kind of a screw Michael Jackson because it wasn't cool. But that's kind of where I, I, I draw the line. I think he definitely did some inappropriate stuff, but I don't know if it went as far as they were trying to say uh, within that documentary. 
a couple of sports related things and then I get out of your hair. You know, normally I like to make these uh, about 20 minutes, but I haven't done one in a while and I had a couple of things I had to get to, but uh, no real excuses. I've just been working and hanging out with the fiance and stuff. So got wedding stuff to plan. You know, that's a lot. That's a lot to that. They didn't tell me all that when I got the ring. Uh, but whatever, let's do a couple of sports things real quick and then get out your hair. Uh, first thing I want to talk to you about the combine. I have a, well, the combine and the the draft in and of itself, the NFL draft. I have a love-hate relationship with all of that because I, I like watching the players um, do their thing. I, I like the draft. I think it has a lot of flash and flair to it. I hate the media side of it, and I, I hate that because, and I'm saying that as someone in the media because there's so much lying, there's so much bias, there's so much stuff out there that really doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, sometimes even the combine itself, you know, okay, so the guy can throw, you know, 100 yards, but, you know, he can't complete a five yard out because he doesn't have any accuracy. And we talked a little bit about the Kyle Murray thing. It's just, it's just so much stupidity and it really gets on on my nerves the the overriding point is you just don't know you don't know until they play you're gonna guess if you're right that's great if you're wrong you're not and and sometimes it's about going to the right team right system right coach uh you know jerry golf is you know still under jeff fisher you know he may be getting cut you know right now as opposed to having Sean McVay. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot uh, to it. So I always say take everything with a grain of salt. You don't know if Kyler Murray is going to be great. You don't know if Dwayne Haskins is going to be great. You don't know if that, that super freak wide receiver is going to be any good. You know, you hope. I always say I always wish every, every one of the players become all pros and Hall of Famers. But you know that's not going to happen. So you're just guessing. And the day that the draft is over, you know, people move on to the next thing. We move, move right along. So that's just really a, just take all of that with a grain of salt. You know, people, teams will float things that they want out there just to throw other teams off. It's just a whole lot of miscommunication. There's a lot, there's, listen, there's racial elements to it. Let's just be t- totally honest. I haven't heard one negative thing about any of the white quarterbacks in this draft, even though the majority of them couldn't hold a candle to Kyler Murray, especially in college, or Dwayne Haskins, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, you don't, you simply don't hear things like he's not smart about white quarterbacks, even if they're dumb as, 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 a, as dumb as rocks. You know, the... the I, the, G, the little IQ test that they take, the Wonderlick is stupid. Dan Marino had a terrible one. If you go look at the one, the guys that had the highest scores, uh, they're very smart guys, but they weren't necessarily weren't great quarterbacks. So take all of that uh, with a grain of salt. And lastly, I want to talk about the something that Charles Barkley said today, but just an overall point. Let's talk about that. NBA and something that Adam Silver said, it, it, and he's, Adam Silver said a lot of NBA players are not happy just because of the scrutiny that they're under because of social media and all of the other stuff. Kyrie Irving's always moping around and doesn't, you know, basically doesn't like the media. 
Charles Barkley caught him a bunch of big babies, said he's getting paid $30, $40 million. The least you can do is, you know, push through this. If you want to be the man, you have to deal with these type of things. And it's one of those type of situations, I'll tell you the truth. The truth of the matter is that money doesn't necessarily buy happiness. That's that's a fundamental key. I say money buys security, (laughs) and money makes life comfortable um, in a lot of aspects. So I'm not, I'm not one that says money is the root of all evil as someone that, that at one point had no money. Um, it, it is comforting to know if I want to go after this show and go get food, I can get pretty much, you know, whatever I want and, you know, not have to worry about my car being towed uh, or repoed. So money does help, but money, like I said, helps with security and comfort and being able to ability to do things. But your happiness is comes from a totally different you know, place like you can not be worried about financial things, but still be totally unhappy. And that goes with fame and, and all of the other stuff. Happiness comes from deep, you know, within. And we've you wonder why. I mean, a lot of people commit suicide. Uh, but when you see, you know, high profile people commit suicide, you're like, well, how? I mean, why? You know, I don't understand. But, you know, just because your happiness comes from a different a different place, a different place deep down. And it's not something that, you know, money or fame or anything can, can cure. And some people just aren't, aren't happy. So I disagree with Barkley in that sense. But I do agree with him in the sense that athletes these days, they may be entertainers to a certain extent. You wanted this, you know, you wanted to play ball. You want to get paid. You want the attention. You want to be able to have the ability to take care of your family. And what comes with that is that spotlight. That spotlight comes with it. And there's really, you know, you got to be. And and I think the point that Barkley made that was the clearest point is he says, I'm Charles Barkley. I was a superstar. I'm still a superstar. And people come up to me and say every day, well, you never won a championship. He said, they don't ask my teammates on the Suns or the Sixers who never won a championship. They don't bother them about that. Like you, and if, I'm just using a random example here. If if Josh Hart of the Lakers never wins a championship, but has a solid 10-year career, at no point is anybody going to say, you know, Josh Hart was a failure because he never won a championship. Okay? But if, let's say, Russell Westbrook never wins a championship, Chris Paul never wins a championship, James Harden doesn't win a championship, people are going to mention that for uh, forever. And that's just part of the business. That's just what it is. You got to, you got to, there's a lot of whining. People whine a lot these days. Like I said, there's a real big difference between being depressed and unhappy for various reasons and just whining because, you know, when I, not everybody's not kissing your ass 24-7, 365. Because when they're kissing your ass, you're happy. You like that. You give a little criticism, and all of a sudden your feelings are hurt. You know, you got to, you know, in the immortal words of Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. So stop being a pussy about certain things and, and man up. Uh, speaking of Marvel, Captain Marvel, uh, very good movie in my opinion. I saw some of the reviews are a little iffy, you know, but I, I I don't know if 
I'm curious if I saw the movie and I had never really connected to the other Marvel movies, would I have liked it as much? You know what I mean? Uh, but when you take it in totality with the Avengers and Captain America and Iron Man and and, and Civil War and Infinity War and what's happening with Endgame, when you take it in a totality, it fits in like really. Like, it's almost like a puzzle, and you you know it's a little missing piece. And you're like, ah oh, man, that's the missing piece. Uh, I thought it was well acted. You know, it's a couple. Uh, you know, let's see what's today. Today Thursday, so. Uh, I don't want to spoil it if you if you if you're gonna watch it this weekend and you end up listening to the podcast first, but um, it has some twists and turns. There's two after credit scenes. I thought Brie Lawson was good at, as Captain Marvel. I thought uh, it was you know I thought it was the best Nick Fury that in any of the the that he that Samuel L. Jackson has been in. Um, I thought it was very well acted. A little slow to begin. Uh, some of the, you know, we try to connect the dots with the origin stories. It's a little out there, but I mean, it's a comic book movie. Uh, I felt like it was, it was in the top half of Marvel movies. It reminded me a lot of the original Iron Man. Like I don't know if it's in my mind it was better than. Civil War or Winter Soldier or Infinity War or Thor Ragnarok or Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, it's right in that, you know, Black Panther, Iron Man type of thing for me. But I thought it was very good. And it sets up what's going to, you know, happen. Well, I thought the after credit scenes could have been a little better. I mean, you could pretty much guess what's going to happen. Um, but definitely check it out. Tell me what you think. Uh, and then lastly, I know I said lastly a couple of times, um, Tristan Thompson, Kardashian, uh, doesn't care at all about what's going on with Chloe, doesn't care about what's going on with George Woods, already, already has a new uh, insta, uh, insta, what is Instagram model, and is moving on. So that's probably the story that we're not going to be talking about anymore. I can already tell from, I always tell from the traffic what people care about. Um, I can already tell that people are starting to just not care about Tristan Thompson and who he's been with and all of that stuff. So uh, probably moving on from that. Follow me on Twitter at BSO, uh, Facebook, Black Sports Online, Instagram, BSO TV, YouTube, BSO TV. I want you guys to, what's today? I'm recording on Wednesday, but you're probably not going to hear it until Thursday. So since it's close to the end of the weekend, have a very, uh, nice weekend and hopefully nothing crazy will happen and I won't have to come back because you know how what happens is sometimes I do these and then something wild happens uh, the next day and I come right back but if not have a great weekend